Morning, church. Morning. I need to open your Bibles to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's one of your minor prophets. If you open your Bible in the middle, it normally falls to Psalms. Take a right and you'll find Hosea. I need you to be in chapters 3 and chapter 11 if you have a physical book. And if you have your uh, app, you can flip through that pretty quickly. But we'll be looking at chapters 3 and 11. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name is Mark. And uh, we are glad. I'm one of the ministers here. We are glad that you're, you're with us today on Mother's Day. And, and uh, we're glad you worship Jesus. And we're encouraged that you're going to worship him with us today. And so please feel welcome to join us in anything we do. Uh, this is just a part of a Christian family uh, worshiping him. Uh, we are in the third week of a series called God Is, focusing on uh, what God has told us about himself. Uh, in the very first week, we looked at God as knowable. Uh, the Bible says that God, God cannot be fathomed, uh, that his ways are higher than ours, his thoughts are greater than ours. So what can we know about God? Well, that's what the, the Bible has blessed us with, is it gives us a revelation of what God wants us to know about himself. We don't know everything about God. We can't put him in a box. But he's revealed certain things about himself that we can know. And in knowing him, we learn that he is a God of grace and truth. That the truth is uh, un- or non-negotiable. That it is true as he tells us, and that he is full of grace as we discover that truth and learn to live with it. Last week, Adam Everett, our high school youth minister, uh, brought us a message about God is holy. And Adam gave us a very practical and positive definition of what holiness is for us to remember. It's what is pure, set apart, and unique. Uh, Pure in that it stands on the truth, and God will not deny himself in his purity. Uh, It is set apart that he is different than the world in that his, because of what's right, that we stand apart, and then it's unique. That God is unlike any other thing. He's greater than his creation. And that holiness doesn't make us holier than thou or better than others. That holiness actually draws us into God because we want to be set apart, we want to be unique, we want to make a difference. The book of Hosea that we're going to be looking at in a few moments is a book that's going to reveal to us the next characteristic of God and that he is loving. But there's a few caveats I have to put in place before we begin. Uh, God does not love. It's it's not a verb that he performs. God is love. Theologians have written endless numbers of pages on this concept. That you don't look at the love of God as a verb, you look at it as a noun. It's who he is. Everything that God asks of us, everything he requires of us, and everything he asks us not to do, it all comes from his love. God doesn't command us to do things to get even. God commands us to do things out of a love that protects us and sustains us and makes us whole. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, You ask for a loving God and you have one. Not a senile, grandfatherly benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way, but instead a consuming fire, as persistent as the artist's love for his created work. It's not just this, I'll give you anything you want because I'm a good grandpa kind of love. It's a love that says, I love you with a consuming fire that does nothing but pursue you and will not rest. Timothy Keller says, one of the greatest riddles of human existence is why we absolutely must have a love from others that they cannot give us, and others must have a love from you that you cannot give them. It seems kind of a negative on Mother's Day, but let me flesh that out for us here today. What Keller says is accurate, that no one's love will ever be enough for you. And nothing you do in loving acts will ever be enough for another person. Why? Because we have been forged, Keller says, we've been forged by the consuming fire of God's love. And the only thing that will ever make us feel at home safe and comfortable is the unconditional love of God. 
And when we have the unconditional love of God, then the love we receive from one another is supplemental and beautiful and affirming. But if all you have is the love of your family without the love of God, there's an emptiness in each one of us that goes missing. You see, the realization and the experience of God's love is what we're going to talk about today, that God is loving us each and every moment. If you look at the story of Hosea, it's interesting because God calls Hosea, who is a prophet, and he says, I want you to prophesy. Now, we need to know this. A prophecy or a prophet is someone who declares who God is to others. It's not someone who guesses the future, but a prophet is someone who declares a message from God that reveals God to the intended audience. And in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea. Now, if you look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, you can go right down, Elijah, all of these great prophets that we have in the Bible, they all received the same thing. The word of the Lord came to them, and they were to deliver that word. But the prophecy that was asked of Hosea is, and I'm going to just suggest this, scholars may not agree with me, I'm throwing this out here as your pastor, it's, it's my conclusion, it's probably the toughest ask ever made of a human being in the Bible. Now, some came up to me later and said, what about Jesus' crucifixion? And I'm thinking, granted, let's go in the Old Testament. I'll suggest this is the toughest ask. Because in verse 2, God says, take for yourself an adulterous wife. That's kind of funny. Every service this morning, I've said that, heads popped up like, what? That's exactly what God asked him to do. I want you to marry a woman who has been adulterous in the past and will be adulterous with you. I want you to marry her. That would take confidence in who God is, wouldn't it? That would take an obedience beyond the level. For many of us, we ask the question of ourselves, you know, what if God told me to do this? What if he told me to sell my business and go be a missionary in Africa? And we think, I don't know if I could do that. How about this one? Go marry an approved adulteress who is going to cheat on you too. And what does Hosea do? He obeys. And God introduces him to a woman named Gomer. And he marries her. And she has been unfaithful to every man she's ever been with, and she will prove to be unfaithful to him. And they have three children. Well, they had two or three, depending on how you look at it, because they have two children, and Hosea names them. They have a third child, and Hosea names the child, not mine. So there's a question about the lineage. Gomer is becoming exactly what God said she was and would be. And then she leaves him. And in chapter 2, she explains that she's going to go live with men that will give her, she calls them lovers who will give me bread, water, wool, and flax. In other words, she's leaving her husband because she'll find another man that will take care of her, another man that will meet her needs, and that's all she's concerned about is her needs. What she doesn't realize in the prophecy of the book of Hosea is that it's Hosea who's providing her, her food. He's giving money to her lovers to care for her because they don't care enough about her to keep her. So you have this horrible depiction of a life that this prophet's asked to live and to live with this woman. I don't do this very often, but there is a, one of my favorite pieces of literature that I ever got was challenged to read in, in school, and I'm glad I did. It's the book called Silas Marner. I don't know if you've ever read the book. Uh, some people after first hour say, I don't like to read. Well, then go watch the movie called, uh, with Steve Martin. Just Google it. Steve Martin is Silas Marner. It's a wonderful piece of literature about a man who adopts 
a young girl he finds in the woods. He's a loner. Uh, he's always lived by himself. He's, he's greedy. And he adopts this young girl and takes her into his home. And then a rich person in town wants her, and he has to give her up. And it's a story of redemption. It's a story of unrequited love. It's a story of hope. It's a beautiful story. Almost as good as the story of Hosea about a man who's told by God to take this adulterous woman as his wife and she does exactly what he thought she would do the day he married her. She left him, she abandoned him, and she forgot him. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loved the Israelites, though they turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. So I brought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without kings or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last day. There's a lot packed in there, and let me just walk you through it as briefly and quickly as I possibly can. First of all, he goes to the house of the man that she's living with, and he buys her back. For him to be able to buy her back indicates that man is selling her. Let that sink in for just a moment. So he goes, and he takes this uh, description, 15 shekels of silver, a homer, and a lethic. I have no idea what a homer and a lethic is. If it's not Homer Simpson, I'm out. I have no clue. I know that's not it, so I go and I look it up. What is this? Here's the conclusion the scholars have come to. The measurement of what he paid to get Gomer from her live-in lover was 30 shekels. 30 shekels of valuables, which was the price of a slave. Now let's measure this out. Hosea spent 30 shekels to buy back what was already his. The price of a slave. Gomer realizes that her lover was selling her to the highest bidder because he was done with her. And so Hosea goes and he buys her back. Now, can you imagine what she's thinking? Is she wondering, is he going to get revenge on me? Is he going to abuse me and beat me up? Is he going to make me pay for all the pain I brought him? But he doesn't. Hosea says to her, if you come back, I want you to be my wife, but you can't be with other men. You have to choose to be with me, and I'll bring you back into my home, and everything will be okay, and I will love you and provide for you like I always did. Doesn't that sound like our God, church? You can see the parallel between what Hosea and Gomer are experiencing and what God experiences with me every day. His desire and his love to pursue me and to buy me back. And he says to her, come back, live with me, and I will be your husband, and I will provide for you, and I will care for you, and I will love you. And what does Gomer say to Hosea's offer? I don't know. The story doesn't tell us. She's just offered this incredible opportunity, and then nothing. It it doesn't end. It's almost unfair. But I don't really know that it matters to you and I whether or not Gomer took the deal. The question of the morning is, did you? Or will you? Because the God of the universe has pursued you from day one, and he wants you to come home, and every single one of us in this room is Gomer. Every one of us. You may not want to admit it today, and you may think, man, I come to church to sit with my mom on Mother's Day, and he does this to me? Yeah, welcome to church. (laughs) 
Because the truth must be heard for God to be able to soften our hearts and work. We don't know what happened to Gomer, but I know what happened to me. Jump with me to chapter 11. Because God's going to explain why he asked Hosea to do this. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, and they did not realize it was I who had healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities and destroy their bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboam? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. When you read the book of Hosea, it is complex and confusing. There's a narrative that runs through it that's profound. But then all of a sudden it breaks into these images that are prophetic about Israel and sometimes hard for us in our context to understand. But when you draw the narrative out, this is powerful. God says, I found this little boy named Ephraim. I found him wandering in the wilderness or in the wilderness outside of Egypt and I collected him and I gathered him and I protected him and I delivered him to a better place. And when he fell down, I lifted him up and he didn't realize I was the one providing his food and clothing. I was the one who was caring for him the whole time. And every time I looked, he ran away from me and he wanted to live in another land. He wanted to live away from me. And, and, and everything, God is saying, everything says, let him go. God says, I can't. How can I abandon him? How can I forsake him? Verse 8 is one of those verses, if you have your physical Bible or even if you have your app, you want to highlight this verse Chapter 11, verse 8, is one of the most, uh, the most profound declarations God makes about himself. He says, my heart is changed within me and all my compassion is aroused. And you say, okay, God changed his heart. No, we don't understand. When you look up the word changed in the Hebrew, it means the overthrow or destruction of a city. Church, God says, my love for you wrecks me. My love for you wrecks me. When you run away and run to other lovers, I, need, I want to let you go and let you burn in your desire and burn up and die, but I can't. My love wrecks me. My love won't let me let you go. So church, if that's true, we need to learn to live in that love, don't we? Church, I'm talking to you, don't we? I'm not scolding you. If we don't get the love of God, let's shut the doors, sell the property. Because the love of God is what he is, it underlies everything he ever does for us and ever will do for us. It's the reason he disciplines us. It's the reason he invites us. It's all contained in his love. And he says, my love is wrecking me. I can't let you go. I'll never let you go. You can say no to my invitation to come back, but I'll never stop asking you to come home. Man, I love my God. That in a world that has God pictured on a throne looking down with disgust at us for our sin, I love being able to show you the Bible doesn't say that's true. The Bible says the love of God is wrecking him over you. He loves you more than you love yourself and he will never let you go. 
This sounds like Jesus, doesn't it, when he's praying over Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long, how I hurt to gather you under my wings like a mother hen with her chicks because what's coming you're not ready for. Verses 9 through 11 of the 11th chapter, God says, I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the holy among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. I've heard my father roar. I'm not going to lie. And it always ended up with gritted teeth, and it sounded like this. Mark, come here. And I'm not very Catholic, but I have prayed the, uh, the last prayer uh, going in, <laughs> saying, Father, please save my life. I'm about to die. I got the last rites. I gave them to myself. Because I saw Dale looking at me with that look like, I have warned you enough. You're about to get disciplined. And I remember making that walk. And when I read this in, in preparation, I, I misunderstood it. I thought that God is going to cry, get back here, no. And I would tremble. But it doesn't say that. The Hebrew word for tremble, the translation is awkward. Because the translation should actually be melted or softened. God says, I'm going to roar in my power and invite you back in my love, and it's going to soften your heart. If I can go really theologically deep, it would sound something like, you had me at hello. Well, there you are. God says, I'm calling you back. And you realize he can crush you. And instead he says, no, I'm inviting you to come back home where you belong. And I will love you. I will care for you. I have always provided for you. And I will continue. Just come home. You see, only love keeps coming back to get an adulteress. Only love could send someone back to ask her to come home again and again and again. And I, I'm unashamed to say this. I don't care what the world tells you about God. I love what the Bible tells me about God. He digs you. And he has pursued you from day one. So in the story of Hosea, and what God asks Hosea to do, we learn three things about God's love. The first is the depth of his love. And these points that you could probably guess them and fill them in, and you're going to say, they're not that profound. Listen, love is simple to understand. It's just hard to trust. The depth of God's love is hard for us. I could never have understood the love of my parents until I became a dad. And I know those of you that don't have kids yet or high school students, college students, you're looking at me going, everybody says that. You'll say it too. Because it's true. Because you never feel more vulnerable. You never feel more exposed. You never feel more excited than when you see your children and you realize, wow, their, their future, their lives, their potential, their talents. I love it. But I never understood my parents. When I was a kid, I lived in the now. And whenever my parents denied my now, I questioned their love. I had a conversation. Well, I was involved in a conversation with a fourth grader about three weeks ago. And she was tearing her parents up. And I thought it was kind of cute, because she was. So I started picking at her a little bit. And I found out the reason she questioned whether or not her parents love her is because she couldn't have an iPhone. <clears throat> so I looked at her and I decided to take the opportunity to support parenthood. And I explained to her that her parents loved her because she didn't have an iPhone. And she'll probably never talk to me again, but that's okay. <laughs> because if I can take a commercial moment as a parent, it's not our job to be liked. 
It's our job to be a spiritual guide of our kids into their future. And they won't like it. You know how I know they won't like it? Because you and I didn't either. And some of us are hurting today on Mother's Day because we didn't have spiritual guidance in our life and we wish we would have, then you totally understand the point I'm trying to make. Take the opportunity you have with your kids to lead them toward the Lord and sometimes that means saying no. Because a kid will, will question whether we love them because they don't have the right phone, they don't have an extended curfew, they can't go do what every other kid does. But at the end of the day, God's love for us and my love for my kids thinks further than right now. And there are many of us that say, when the preacher says, God loves you, you rightfully, now listen to me because I believe this, you rightfully say in response, nope, if God loved me, my mother would not have died of cancer. I prayed about that. If God would have loved me, I would not have been released from my job falsely. If God really loved me, then how come I haven't caught any breaks and I've tried to do the right things? And I can't answer any one of those concerns, but I can push back with this. If you're going to deny the love of God every time you don't get what you want, then you shouldn't be accepting the love of God when you get what you don't deserve. So when parents, kids look at their parents and say, if you love me, you'd give me a phone. You've got blue jeans, shirts, you've got plenty of food, you've got a place to live, we care for you, we give our stuff to you every day. You can't have one without the other. Love says no, church, because it thinks about what's best not what's now. And the depth of God's love, the scholars say, is sophisticated. I just simply say it's hard to understand. But now let's not talk about chronological age. I'm glad I'm not nine anymore. I remember one time I asked my parents if I could, if I could have no curfew because they could trust me. <laughs> I found out they didn't, and so I had a curfew. Because love tells the truth. So somebody says, how do you receive this love? Well, spiritually, we're not talking about chronological age anymore. Spiritually, most of us are childish because we doubt God's love because we didn't get what we wanted right now instead of realizing that everything we've had our entire lives has been given to us by God. Oh yeah, you might have worked for it, but when we learn the ability to live without what we want, to have what the Father wants us to have, we'll understand his love because his love is steadfast and it never ends. In the great chapter of love that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he wrote, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. We need to repent of our need to have God prove his love every second of every day, and we need to learn to live in the love we've already received. The next time the world tells you that God doesn't love you because you didn't get what you wanted, I want you to look at the cross and tell me God didn't love you. That God's love is not just about the now, it's about the then too. So there's the depth of God's love and there's the commitment of his love. God makes himself vulnerable. He, he opens himself up to that. I can't imagine growing up in a family of four boys how many times my parents hurt the first time they saw one of us get in a car without one of them in it and drive away. I never fathomed that. I remember going to college I was the first one of the four of us to leave town and go away to school. Uh, my, one of my brothers went to a community college, but he just drove into classes and out. And My parents moved me to college. And I remember it took two vehicles, and my little brother and I drove in my car, and my mom and dad came back with theirs, and they brought all my stuff and moved me in my dorm and took me to the grocery store and loaded our little kitchenette up with groceries for the entire year, it seemed like. I never remember saying goodbye to my parents the day they moved me to college. 
I got so caught up in all my new friends and everything going on, I, they just disappeared. I asked my dad years later, what happened that day? He said, I grabbed your mom by the arm and told her, just get in the car. And he said, she cried all the way home. That was a horrible thing to do to my mom. I had no clue. I was so excited about my future, I forgot about the people who really loved me and would be there when my future started. So I remember driving Alex to college, and Heather and I drove in separate cars, and my ultimate goal that day was to make her leave first. Or she'd be living in his dorm right now at Ozark Christian College, I trust me. <laughs> Love's vulnerable, isn't it? It exposes us to hurt we don't want, and it's caused by people who don't know they're hurting us. God says, my love for you is wrecking me because you're, you're sleeping with the world and you're not being loyal to me and I've been nothing but loyal to you. Hosea 1.7, when he explains to Hosea what he's supposed to do, he says, yet I will show love to the house of Judah and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, not by horse or horsemen, but by the Lord their God. He says, Hosea, you're gonna do this to understand the kind of love I'm gonna give you. Some of us, if we're honest and practical, we have gomers in our life. You know you have a gomer in your life when the phone rings, you see their number, and you thank God for voicemail. Oh, come on, am I the only one? You know the person that keeps shooting them their, themselves in the foot and complaining about their limp? And you're like, I've tried to help you. You won't let me help you. The reason we're able to do that is because their troubles are not our troubles. But I want to tell you about a God who says, your troubles are my troubles. That's why God doesn't put us to voicemail when we return to him. He answers it. He says, I love you enough that I'm going to make your struggles my struggles. The God who can measure the universe with the breadth of his hand can be wrecked by us. That's how vulnerable and loving God is toward every one of us. In the book of Jude in the New Testament, there's only one chapter in the 24th verse Jude writes, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. I want to ask you a question as you look at that verse as it remains on the screen. Whose joy? To able to keep you from falling and to present you in the glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Whose joy is received when God returns Gomer's home? His joy. It's God's joy, not our joy. Our joy isn't understood. But God gets his joy when Gomer wakes up from her life of sin and returns back to the place she's absolutely loved. That's when God finds his joy. He's made himself vulnerable for you and me. And he expects us to become vulnerable to other people, which means we stop letting it go to voicemail and we start encouraging people to go home. Thirdly, the costliness of his love. Timothy Keller did some research on ways we can love people, and he said there are three basic ways we can love people who are troubled like Gomer. Two of them are inexpensive, and one of them costs us everything. The first inexpensive way is you support the person and you compromise the truth. Some of us, if we're honest, that's what we're doing with some people that are hurting themselves. We have Gomers in our lives, and we're watching them live a life of sin, and they're destroying themselves spiritually, physically, socially. They're falling to pieces. And we love them, but we won't tell them that their problem is their behavior and their choices. So it's easy to love them. We love them. We let them live the life that's trashing their existence. The second way that we can think we're loving someone and it's inexpensive is quit on them. 
And we simply say, just go do your thing, and I'll have nothing to do with you, and as long as you're not doing what I want, then I have nothing to do with you. Now, what will happen is counselors in this room will say, Christian counselors, professional counselors will say to you that there comes a moment in time when you have to let the prodigal son go to the other land. You can't stop them. But that doesn't mean you don't love them. That's, that doesn't mean that you don't keep the truth in front of them. That's, that doesn't mean that you don't keep the invitation to come home available to them. So you can quit on them or you can just support them blindly. Or you can do the costly act of love, which is change them by patient, uncompromising love. That you can love them and walk with them and hold them to the highest standard and show them that you care about them, that you can knock on the door of the thing you already possess and say, I'll pay any price to bring you home. It's the story of Jose and Gomer. It's the story of God and me. So it's really hard to realize, because I think it's funny, all three services, I've said, he asked her to marry a person named Gomer, and everybody chuckles. I've been alive 49 years. I've never met a Gomer. I've met an Ichabod. I've never met a Gomer. But you're a gomer, and I'm a gomer. And you have gomers in your life, don't you? It's a word picture of a person who's self-defeating and still desires victory. Jesus told us this in John 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you the revelation of God. He's knowable. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Love. The foundation on which God does anything. The purpose for which God does everything. So if you're Gomer, and you're still living with these people using you, and are selling you to the next highest bidder once they're done with you, if you're not living the bought back life, I I want to remind you of something. It seems harsh, and it's come out of my mouth all three services. I want to be careful that this is gentle, but it needs to be true. You need to understand that you may think that you're self-made. You're not self-made. The air you breathe, you didn't produce. The life you have, you never produced. You didn't choose to be here, and none of us will choose when we're gone. We all live here by a benevolent God who has given us a place in his world, and he has pursued us, he loves us, and he's inviting us home. And he's trying to buy you back. He's willing to buy back what he already owns because he loves you that much. In Hosea chapter 2, he tells the prophet, Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. And I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. She, then she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. God says, I don't want you to come back feeling guilty as my servant. I want you to come back feeling loved and welcomed and call me your husband and I'll call you my bride. And that imagery floats into the New Testament where the church is called what? The bride of Christ, the redeemed, the purchased. But if you have been Gomer and now you're pursuing them with God, sharing his love, then I challenge you that to love in a costly way. Present the truth with love. Will they always melt? Will they always come back trembling? Not always, but some will. And God asks us to do this. He says, love him. He said, I love you, love me. 
realize my love, live in my love, and it will give you the ability to love me in return. God won't force you to love him. He does not command that you love him against your will. He asks you to love him because of his love. Because while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He pursues. God is loving us. Remember the depth and sophistication of God's love. When God says no, remember how many times he said yes. Remember the commitment or involvement of God. Remember the price and the willingness he is to make himself vulnerable. Look at the cross and see the Son of God displayed on that cross and tell me you don't see love. Remember the costliness. When guilt overwhelms you and you wonder if there's redemption, remember that he says, I want to call you home and you don't have to call me master. You can call me your spouse. I think the truth of today's message is this. God digs me and I don't deserve to be dug. And God digs you, and you don't deserve it either. But church, he digs you. From the foundations of the earth, God has made it his life's goal, his existence, to love you well, so that you can love well, so that you can receive his love. Quit telling him, no, 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 I'm I'm damaged, you can't love me. Gomer could have said to Hosea, how could you ask me home after all I've done to you? Hosea didn't care. He said, I'm inviting you to come home. The deal of a lifetime is to go back to love, the purest love, the love you're created to be fulfilled by. Some of you today, because this is a new experience to you, you're used to a God with a long finger telling you to stop it instead of a God whose arms say, Come to me. If you want to know more about this, go to one of the tables where the lamps are lit. We'd love to schedule an appointment at your your convenience. We'd like to sit down and talk with you. We want to show you that this isn't my idea. This is what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. The love of God starts everything. The holiness of God protects everything. And the knowledge of God opens our eyes to everything. If you want to know more about this God and what he did through his son Jesus, we're here to teach you about that and turn you loose. God digs you. Let yourself be dug. It'll change everything. And he said, I'm going to call her into the wilderness, and she's going to sing like she sang when she was a pure, innocent youth. That's what we're going to do here today. Because of the love of God, we can sing about our God, his holiness, his love, his perfection, and he will be adored in heaven because of our testimony here today. Won't you join us as we claim God together? Let's stand.